Orthodox Presbyterian Church. We have no pressing announcements, but we do have the call of worship. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Let's bow our heads and hearts in sound of preparation for worship. stand and let us rejoice before our God with Psalm 119 T 
We are grateful, God, that your law endures forevermore as you do, God, as it is an expression of your holiness. And God Almighty, that we have your Holy Spirit within us, uh, that we can have the first fruits of living and walking in that law, even though we certainly fail at various times in our life, God, in following it, Lord, but we have your mercy covering our sins all the day long. We ask in particular, God, this morning, that we would continue to focus upon you. We call upon more of your mercy and grace to us, Lord, uh, that we can grow thereby and honor you all the days of our life. We pray all these things in accordance to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the You may be seated. We have responsive reading, which is inside the bulletin, the insert. Psalm 128, let us read it together. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. Let us pray. We indeed long for continued peace in the body of Christ God Almighty. We long for the day of your return, in which we will have that in fullness. And for now, Lord, to accept your will, that we will have uh, some divisions, although they don't have to be intense, as it were, God, as we have denominational differences and the like here uh, in this side of eternity. Even so, God, we still must acknowledge as much as we desire to have that peace. Our part, God, perhaps somewhere, some way, uh, even on a small scale of our sins, and violating the first table of the law, perhaps through distractions, perhaps through dishonoring you, Lord, or some other way in which we have sinned, especially in our hearts, God, that we would embrace you, that we would take the means you've given us, Lord, instead of forgetting them, that we can strengthen our inner man uh, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to honor you, uh, to worship you, God, and to trust in you, to strengthen, Lord, our weak faith, we pray. These are the things, God, that we need, the help. We need your spirit, and we need the things that you've deigned to give us, God, that we may grow thereby as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. 
And we are grateful for your goodness towards us in Christ Jesus, for covering of our sins day by day. Never, Lord, letting your love be cast away. We are engraven on your palms, Lord, and God Almighty, by the blood of Christ, and we're grateful for this, that we would always cling to you, that we would always focus upon these things, God, when we get in distress, when we have too much come upon us, uh, whether from the sins of others or our own sins, that we would be quick to repent, to acknowledge our sins explicitly, God Almighty, whatever they may be in our words and our thoughts and our deeds and the like. And always, God, again, after we've confessed these things before you, and perhaps to each other if we have sinned against one another, that we go back to the fount of Jesus Christ and the gospel promise that would strengthen our insurance, Lord God, that you love us with an everlasting love. We lift up our concerns that we would grow as individual Christians, that we would love you, God, that we would be obedient to you, that we would do our duty, God, not simply because we are duty-bound, although that's a start, but because we desire to do the right thing, we desire to honor you with our actions, that we, Lord, would continue to take seriously your word, to understand more, to be encouraged and strengthened by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and how you direct us, God, to the holiness of your law, that we can practice these things day by day, to be encouraged, Lord, to see your Spirit working in us, the fruits of the Spirit, and the fruits of obedience as well. And Lord, we pray not only for ourselves and individually, but as Lord, those who are in relationships with one another, as a husband, as a wife, God, as members of the church, as workers on a job, or bosses over others, Lord, that we, that we, God, would continue to do these duties, that we would have the strength to carry on, that for the husbands to lead their wives, or the wives to follow their husbands, God, for the parents to instruct their children in godliness, and to discipline them, Lord, and not to indulge them so that they go towards more sin. And indeed, God, for ourselves, uh, we who are single, uh, God, that you would help us to carry on in our callings in life as you have given us strength to do. And we think of our employment and the like, and being members of a community, God, that we would be an example, that we would be helpful to our neighbors, that we would work hard as unto the Lord, whatever we have and whatever you've brought us into, Lord, our situation in life. Give us wisdom as we struggle with decisions at times. Should we leave this job? Should we move to this new place or the like? that we would have the help that we need to get a simple solution, God, at the end of the day, even if we don't have all the facts that we need, whatever decision we decide to do or not to do, God, may always be done in faith and trust in you that you will cover any deficiencies in our decision. And Lord, we lift up our opportunities for education to learn more of this world, which is part of our duty and responsibility, depending on where we are and our positions in society, uh, that we can be better informed, Lord, so that we can be better citizens, better neighbors, uh, better family members, and better, Lord, Christians overall. We think of our children in this regard, that they would learn these things. School, of course, can be very boring or difficult or distracting for them, uh, that we ask that they would be directed towards the importance of education for their lives, God, in this world, but especially, God, the education that we all need, above all, the Bible, the truth therein, that we as adults would also have the heart of a child and know that we are called to be disciples, that is, pupils all the days of our life, to learn not only the things of this world so that we can glorify you and see the wonders of this creation, 
and therefore honor you all the more. But again, to go to the Bible again, to read it as we can, a little here, a little there throughout the week, to understand the importance of the things you're teaching us, God, and to apply it. Give us that wisdom, we pray, on high. And we ask also, Lord, for our society. The wickedness that is abounding and growing around us. We think of the bad actors and bad influencers in Hollywood and the media and big business and whatever else outside of politics, God, that they too, Lord, can affect our family, our children, to be a bad influence upon us, to create bad social pressure, Lord, and expectations and advertisements and the like and all these different avenues in which uh, they wish to uh, go after us and our families, Lord, in various and sundry ways for whatever cause they have in their heart. Protect us. Give us the strength to stand firm, to have the wisdom to say no, and Lord, maybe even to say no to some of the sources of influence, to turn it off, to get rid of these things in our lives, Lord, if they are a a temptation toward us unto wickedness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray for continued growth as a church, a growth as a denomination, a growth as churches across this nation, Lord, and pray for more faithful preaching of your word, more faithful practice wherever we may need it in our churches. Help us, God, we pray, to always follow you no matter what. We ask all these things by the blood of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. rise. up your name on high, God, with our hearts and with our lips, and with this offering, God, may it be acceptable in your sight to be used for the work of the kingdom. In your precious name we pray, amen. As we are standing, let's go ahead and sing Psalm 110a, Psalm 110a. The Lord said to my Lord, at my right hand, see, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will make your reign extend from Zion's hill. 
With mighty scepter rule your foes Who fight against your will When you display your power Your people flock to you Adorn arrayed in holiness Your youth will come like change his mind you are a priest forever Melchizedek in kind the Lord your right hand and there will ever stay he on his day of wrath will crush the kings who bar his way. Amen. You may be seated. We have the reading of the Apostles' Creed. It's a summary of a number of truths. Let us read it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. Let us turn to our Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Verses 32 to 34. Let us listen attentively to the word God. Mark 10, verses 32 to 34. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. The third day he will rise again. Let us pray. In these words we are given, Lord by Jesus, our Savior, as he honestly describes to his disciples what he is facing, what he was willing to do for them, and thus showing his dedication as our Savior. As we read this, God, the similar description again from Christ, may it drive us more to you and away from the world. In your name we pray, amen. In this short section of verses, we read for the third time, Jesus explaining his coming mission to suffer and die. He might have said it a number of times, but again, 
Uh, the point of the Gospels is not to give us everything he said or give us a number of lists of everything, how often he repeated it, but that we see and learn from what he has indeed given us here in these words. It's something of a shock to the followers because their view of Christ and of God's kingdom did not include the death of the Messiah, as we saw before, wherein he rebuked Peter. It was more than they could wrap their heads around. And yet Christ planned to take a human body and suffer accordingly, a body and a soul, the abuse by wicked men from eternity past. You can imagine that. Purposely going in to go through all this pain and misery for somebody. And not just at the last minute, but premeditated. Way in advance. He explains this fact to his disciples again here, displaying, therefore, and I want to highlight his love and commitment to his people, to you. So let's look here at Christ's dedication for our redemption. Christ's dedication for us while on earth. He speaks of where he's going to go, but part of it, of course, is his incarnation. It's part of the act of his redemption for us, not just the cross itself. In fact, interestingly enough, the cross isn't mentioned here, just as death. Now, begin with verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And they followed, and they at, excuse me, and as they followed, they were afraid. So perhaps Jesus, ordinarily, when traveling with his disciples or even the throng, was mixed with them. So he wasn't exactly the head of the crowd. Here it looks like he's the head of the crowd. They were on the road going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them. He's got his face set towards the cross. He knows what's happening. In his travels, if I were to draw a chart for you, see him slowly circling back down to Jerusalem. That's his end goal. That's the end of his ministry. He knows what's going on. And his followers here see something change in his demeanor, or I think perhaps his actions. That is, he's physically a little separate from them. He's leading them in a way he hasn't led before, physically walking towards Jerusalem. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. They were probably wondering, what's going on here? What's, why is he so determined to go in this direction, go towards Jerusalem and the like? And then he took the twelve again aside and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. We read the end of verse 32. And thus, we now go into the suffering Christ. Picture of Jesus telling them in explicit detail what he will go through for them and for us. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. The third day he will rise again. This was all foretold in the Old Testament if the disciples had but slowed down and paid attention. They certainly heard these passages in uh, the worship services that they had at the synagogues because they would read vast portions of the Bible. And the leaders, of course, had vast portions of it memorized. And they had certain portions, even Isaiah, that were standard reading passages. So in Isaiah 53, we read there, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Describing how amazing and how dumbfounded the listeners to this report would be. Who has believed the report? Apparently, nobody would believe it, because it's so amazing what's going to happen. And as we know, to a large extent, it was fulfilled by the disciples. The prior incident where Christ explained what he's going to go through for them because he loves them, Peter rebukes him. 
He couldn't believe the reports. The report of the Messiah suffering for his people. He's supposed to be a king conquering his enemies. Verse 2 we read in Isaiah, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. Before the eyes of the world, Jesus was a nobody. He was looked down upon, as we know, ultimately by the elites and even by the throngs. They turn on him in Jerusalem. Verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Emphasizing in different ways and poetic language of Isaiah of how much his own people reject him. Isaiah 53. Jesus did this voluntarily. What does this indicate? When somebody knows they're going to go through something like this, and we're not even done with the passage. This is the social rejection. We want nothing to do with him. You're an outcast. You're a social pariah. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And now we get some more particulars. Why, why is Christ suffering? Because some people teach, unfortunately, and that Jesus does this just to show that he's sympathetic towards us. He knows what you've gone through because he's gone through it himself. And there's some truth to that, of course, because we read that in Hebrews. But it's more than sympathizing or even empathizing. Sometimes we like to say, I'm empathizing, which is stronger than sympathizing. It's that he did it to bear our sins, to bear our punishment. He was esteemed, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. For us, he has borne our griefs, the griefs of sin, the miseries therein. Not subjective emotional grief that I lost my turtle. That's not what he's talking about here, as we know through the rest of the verses. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. That's the parallel, the grief of transgressions, the grief of sin, the effects therein in our mind and our lives. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was beaten for our sins. And chastisement of our peace for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. This points to that Jesus did was not a private act so that he can simply sympathize with us. We can have these sermons about how God feels your pain. Rather, that Christ identified with us, he was our second Adam, our advocate, who took our punishment in his place. He was our substitute. Took our sins, he took our transgressions, our violation, thought, word, and deed. All that punishment that we deserve for eternity, he took upon himself as only he could. And he planned on doing that from eternity to past. That's his dedication. That's his love for you, brothers and sisters. In verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He wasn't going to say no. I am not worthy of this. I am the God of the universe. I can call 10,000 angels upon you. Rather, he stayed silent because he knew silence was the answer because they would go after him all the more for his silence. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He wasn't going to back out at the last minute. That's his love for us. It's compassion for us. 
And they made his grave, verse 9, with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So his burial was assured. I don't know what the Jews exactly were thinking when they read these verses. Uh, Today, many of the more pious Jews believe it's the nation of Israel that's supposed to act as corporately the Messiah to save themselves. But this has such detail. Even though it's in poetic form, the detail clearly is being fulfilled. We see it in the life of Jesus. And Jesus here just gives a simple summary of this. They mock me, they'll scourge him, they'll spit on me, and they'll ultimately kill me. In verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper at his hand. So there we have again a description of him being an offering, the lamb before the Lord, the lamb before the foundation of the world. All those types in the Old Testament fulfilled by our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who didn't fulfill them in a symbolic form, but actually with his body. He was stricken, that uh, language and word there. Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard, and I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. In Psalm 22, 7, we read, All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And we know that was fulfilled in Christ's life as well. Disciples knew this, and yet Christ in his compassion for them still explained it to them again and again and again because he knew they were slow to learn. And we can be slow as well, and that's why we need repetition. We need to go over these things. We have plenty of that in the Bible to go over and learn anew what Christ has done for us, and it shows his love and commitment to us by his mercy upon us from eternity past. He was rejected by the elites as well and turned into the elites. So I go back to, to verse 33. He going to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be, be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. The Jewish elite, more or less, the leadership there, turn on him. We know they did that earlier in Mark, where it mentions that from there on out they plotted to take him out, to kill him. They had that much hatred in their heart toward their own Messiah, toward their own flesh and blood, who came to deliver his people. And so, Jesus here describes very carefully what he was willing to go through for his people, for us. He was killed. Also in Isaiah 61, it mentions that as well. And this, of course, is the most offensive fact uh, back in a part, prior part of Mark, where Jesus says this before and gives this description, Peter rebukes him. He can't... He's going to die? What is going on here? He was offended. Peter just could not accept this fact. And Jesus just flat out rebuked him. Get behind me, Satan. How dare you follow this way of the world of thinking, this sinful thinking. You have the word of God. You have my word. It should be acceptable to you. But it was so amazing to him in the negative sense of amazement that Peter couldn't accept it. And here again, he has, they have to be told because they are slow like we can be slow as well. And being killed as the king of the kingdom. right? The kingdom theme is here in Mark. Mentioned early on. 
reiterated in some form or fashion and assumed for the rest of the book, that he is the king of kings, and his people are his followers and disciples and are supposed to submit to that rule. And yet to have the king, the master, die and suffer makes no sense to their way of thinking. It doesn't make sense to the way of the world, in fact. They mock Christianity. They talk about this God dying on the cross. What kind of religion is that? And then raised again. And he will raise them again. Simple as that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. His body will not stay in the grave. It will not stay dead. Because he has conquered sin and therefore death. The consequence of sin. All these things. The elites. The suffering. And ultimate death of Jesus our Lord and Savior. Was done for us. Because he's committed to us. And his death and resurrection also points to our resurrection as well. Job accepts this in Job 19, For I have known that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at the last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that my flesh, I shall see God. Again, the idea of the resurrection was there in the Old Testament, and the disciples should have accepted it. Now stand in amazement of it. Daniel 12, 2, we read, Even to that time and at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. There in the book of Daniel, if you recall, there were those who denied these things, the Sadducees, and perhaps others as well. Disciples were confused about these things. But the point the end of the day in this description here, verses 33 to 34, detailing the rejection of Jesus by the leaders and ultimate condemnation uh, by Rome, Roman leadership and mocking him and scourging him and spitting on him and killing him and beating him is to highlight Jesus' commitment to his people, to you, to you who have repented and believed in him. But it wasn't just in his life and his incarnation as we know and here when he's going to eventually suffer and die in the future resurrection of himself, and the ascension on high in Acts chapter 1, but also his dedication for us here and now, as we are living life and moving through time and space. The second point, Jesus' dedication for us while in heaven. And I want to start with a pivotal point, Jesus' ascension. That is, he goes up on high after the resurrection. He spent time, several weeks with the disciples, as you recall, before he leaves. He encourages them because they're still sad after the death of Jesus. Even though he told them how many times, we don't know, at least three times here in Mark. I'm going to rise again from the dead. I'm going to, I've told you exactly what's going to happen. It all happens right before their very eyes. And at the end of the day, their faith is so weak, they're discouraged. So in the resurrection, Jesus spends some time with them, breaks bread with them, and it strengthens their weak faith. And in Acts 1, verse 7, we read, Jesus says to them, the disciples that were waiting there, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
in Jesus being ascended on high, what has happened? We read in Ephesians 4.8, a summary of that ascension, the effects of the ascension of Christ. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He established the church, and he showered it with his triumphant exaltation over sin and death in his resurrection and ascension to heaven by giving us gifts. Giving us the body of Christ, of course, giving us the greatest of those gifts, the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit Spirit of God that Jesus has given us that shows his dedication to us, that he's not left us alone. I must leave that you may have a comforter, he says. I won't stay. The Holy Spirit has given us many, many gifts. But first, I want to back up here a second. We have the Great Commission, in which Christ has given a warrant to the church, a warrant we can't make up ourselves, as we saw in Sunday school class, but must submit to the head of the church, who has given us this authority as a a body and the officers in particular. He sets this foundation stone, speaking to the 12 disciples. That's the audience there in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And he gave them, as we read in Ephesians, pastors and uh, teachers to the body of Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. The job there is through preaching to spread the word of God. And thus Christ has given us, because of his dedication uh, to us, by his love from everlasting love, but giving us the means unto salvation, which is the preaching of the word, which is the word of God, which is the truth, which is the gospel itself, which is found there in the Bible, and especially through preaching of the Bible. And so he gives the officers as part of that love for his body, so that it's a tool to bring more into the church, more into the body of Christ, more into God's kingdom. That's his love for us. The command to baptize, the command to preach, That's his love towards us. Because he could have just given us nothing. We've been left to our own devices. But these are part and parcel of his commitment to us. And so the Great Commission then is good news for us. And that we are here today, you are here today, because the fulfillment of that Great Commission, to one degree or another, the last 2,000 years, as Christianity spread from that small little country that's about the size of New Jersey to, Cy- to the island of Cyprus, to Turkey, to Ethiopia, towards India, and eventually here in America, brothers and sisters. That shows Christ's dedication to the salvation and redemption of his people. He gave us these means to draw us unto him. It was his work, to be sure, but he also uses instruments And the Great Commission is a great, grand example of an instrument. The church and the pastors in particular and the Word of God and the message therein is for us. Now the gift of the Spirit, to go back to that great gift, because you can have the Word, you can read the Word. If you have not the Spirit, it is nothing. It bounces off your ear and will not penetrate your heart. The gift of the Holy Spirit is there along with the gift of preaching. He gave us the divine helper, the Holy Spirit, so that preaching would be efficacious, that reading the Word of God would be efficacious, that our prayers would be heard. Right? Romans 8. The groaning of our hearts. And also that we could repent and believe. That we are born again. You couldn't even 
believe unless you had the gift of the Holy Spirit, unless Christ ascended on high and gave us that great gift of all gifts. Not just redemption and regeneration alike, but of course the fruit of the spirits. The gift of the Holy Spirit, first and foremost here I want to highlight is regeneration, of course, being born again, being born from on high. The wind moves where it wells, we read in John 3. And so the Spirit moves upon the hearts as he wills and wakens them to the truth of the gospel so that they would repent and turn away from their sins, flee and hate their sins and embrace Jesus anew. He gives us a new heart. The hearts that were hardened are now softened, as prophesied in Jeremiah. So Christ and the Holy Spirit tear down our prejudice against him. We will always have closed minds and closed hearts. But the Spirit comes along and opens our mind, frees our will from the slavery of sin, and releases our emotions from the lusts of the flesh. It's all about Him. But again, it shows Christ's love and dedication to His people. That He gave us this great gift of the Holy Spirit. And that therefore we have faith and repentance, not just at the initial mark of regeneration, but all the days of our life, day in and day out. We are called to have a life of repentance and faith, brothers and sisters. It could be very burdensome at times, I know, because you're tired of your sins. But we have the spirit of truth. We have his word. We have Christ's commitment to us that we will persevere. And this is a great and marvelous gift, these two twin gifts of repentance and faith. Ephesians 2.8, we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It comes from the Lord Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, in particular, as we know from other passages. But the point being here, it's not natural, native to us. Second Titus 2.25, we read, 2 Timothy, excuse me, there's <laughs> no 2 Titus. 2 Timothy 2.25. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And so we pray to Jesus and the Holy Spirit to bring repentance upon hearts, because it's not natural and native to them. But at the same time, I want to turn it around to highlight and strengthen our gratitude and love to our God above, because he's given us this gift, because he gave us this Holy Spirit. And the other gifts, as we know of, of course, that we call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's not the only gift. That's my point, of course. Many other gifts, the greatest of being born again. But love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Blessings with these things upon us. This is by God's love upon us through Christ Jesus, who is, again, dedicated, committed to us, not leaving us to our own devices, but empowering us by the Spirit and giving us all that we need to grow as believers, to follow Him all the days of our life. There are other blessings, to be sure, that we don't often think about, perhaps. The talent that you have that other people do not have. Opportunities, connections that you have that other people do not have. Your own godly experience as you grow in the Christian life that you have that other people don't have is from Christ through the Holy Spirit guiding and directing all things in our life. That too is a gift because we're supposed to use it, something we don't deserve. These are good things. We're supposed to turn around and use in God's kingdom for our own growth, to be sure, but for one another, of course. And then lastly, 
preservation unto heaven. Talk about the perseverance of the saints. And I know why historically we emphasize that fact that we are called not to give up, that it's in that language of perseverance of the saint. You're supposed to persevere and not give up and not let the Lord alone and say no to him. I'm tired of being a Christian. To focus, as it were, upon your reaction, your walk as a Christian and your sanctification. But I always like to highlight the preservation of the Holy Spirit. He preserves us in spite of our sins. It's certainly part of that preservation by Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit is our preserving and keeping on, keeping on, and not giving up on the Christian walk. And that's a wonderful, wonderful gift from above. Our Lord's dedication to our eternal souls is not just here. I'll let you become born again, but from here on out, you're on your own. Some variations of Christianity teach that. You've been regenerated, but now that your will is free, keep on willing that good will. Somehow you get to heaven. No. He gives us the gift of perseverance. Whom he says he will save, they will be saved to the uttermost. And that's good and wonderful news. Because we see our sins, we know our weaknesses, brothers and sisters. And so we have to be encouraged. And I hope going through this text, you see Christ's dedication to you. Not just in his life on earth, but all these things, of course, had the fruits therein, as you read through the rest of the New Testament, from the ascension on high, is still the work of Christ. He wasn't just done with his work for you and your redemption on the cross. Well, I'm done. But he ascended on high and gave gifts to men, gave gifts to his church, brothers and sisters. John 10, 28, we read, And I gave them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. All these other gifts fall away into nothingness if we don't have the gift of perseverance, a promise from Jesus because of his commitment to us. Verse 29, My Father has given them to me, and he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And that no one means you. (laughs) Not just other people as well. You can't jump out of God's hand. I was taught that as a Christian. Because you wouldn't want to. I mean, that's the point. Your will has changed. The power of the Creator of all things, both visible and invisible, protects your soul from eternal damnation and the lies of the evil one. All this to say, Christ will save us to the uttermost. And that the work that He has done on the cross, yes, it is finished, but the fruit thereof is still going on and on because of his love for us. As much as we think we may give up on ourselves and facing our sins and our hardships and being bombarded by wickedness around us and lies within us. Here, in these verses, I hope we see again, Christ was never going to give up on us. He knew exactly what he was going into and did it anyways. Not because we're special or anything else like that, but because of his love for us forever and ever. Christ is dedicated to God's glory, and therefore dedicated to redemption of his people for his glory. So don't think the sermon is about how wonderful you are. It's how wonderful Jesus is. And his love, commitment, and dedication forever and ever towards our good for his glory. Amen. Let us pray. And so God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the blessed three in one, you who saved us from eternity past, 
as we'll see more this afternoon, how each member of the Trinity is involved in our redemption. But here, God in particular, may we again see your love, your passion for your people, for you above all, God, and your glory, that we might be saved to the uttermost. No matter what he had gone through, he was willing to do it and did go through it. And did more, God, and give us life eternal forever and ever. Amen. Let us stand and let us go before our God with hymn 278. But the blood of Jesus, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Says all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fountain I know nothing but the blood of Jesus now by this I'll overcome nothing but the blood of Jesus 
Now by this I'll reach my home, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Oh, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.